Hey, it's me. We're going to be talking about something today that might be upsetting for some listeners, particularly our younger listeners and those who have been impacted by abuse. If that's you, take care of yourself while you listen. This is the Resilient Disciples Podcast, powered by Awana. I'm your host, Ross Cochran. Thank you for listening. I want to say right off the top that this is going to be a little longer of an episode than normal. And I really appreciate you listening and engaging with this podcast because we're going to be having a difficult but critically important conversation today. Jeff Dalrymple is the executive director of the Evangelical Council of Abuse Prevention. Jeff and his team have dedicated themselves to something that couldn't be a more important conversation. The lack of conversation around child abuse, this extremely upsetting and hard to talk about crisis, creates a space for abuse to continue. It feels like every week, this podcast is having a conversation about the importance of a loving, caring adult in a child's life. Abuse is the ultimate perversion, the complete opposite of a loving, caring adult. And you'll hear Jeff go into more detail, but through what his organization offers, which is an accreditation process to ensure that best practices are followed and that policies are established. And as we all look to open back up, and we're all having these conversations about how to keep our kids safe, it is my belief that this conversation around abuse prevention has to be a part of the larger conversation we are all having within our churches. Also, I wanna be really clear about something. Kevin White joined Jeff and I. Kevin's the chief operating officer at Awana. And as an organization, we are engaging with this group because we believe you learning more about them and the work that they do might benefit your ministry. They are the experts, and as your ministry partner, we want to make sure you're aware of people who can help you in your local context. Like always, I'd also point you to the show notes wherever you're listening. We've linked to a free assessment tool that the Evangelical Council of Abuse Prevention offers that helps you start this conversation and what this would begin to look like in your community. This episode begins with Jeff explaining what the Evangelical Council of Abuse Prevention is what it is not. And I would really encourage you to listen to this entire conversation. You're going to hear Jeff explain how even if you don't think this is an issue in your world, you would still benefit from the work his organization does, or at the very least, engaging with this conversation. Thank you for listening. Here is episode 38 of the Resilient Disciples podcast. Our Evangelical Council for Abuse Prevention. Um, you know, you look across the Protestant landscape and you see all these different fragmented denominations and networks. And uh, and frankly, there's a large number of non-denominational uh, churches out there. So the question is, how do we help those churches know what to do and to verify um, if they're doing child protection right? Yeah. Uh, in that. Uh, Protestant landscape, frankly, goes back 500 years to the Reformation. There is no and there will never be any sort of centralized authority in the Protestant world. So accreditation becomes a useful tool in the absence of a centralized authority to verify compliance. 
let me say accreditation is a uh, it means transparency and it really means that an organization whether that's a church a christian school or other nonprofit ministry they have demonstrated compliance to a set standard that's what accreditation is it's not an authority coming in saying you must do x y or z the final binding authority the attorneys would say continues to rest in the board of officers elders and um the authority of whatever organization um, that we're talking about. So accreditation comes in through an audit process and verifies compliance to that set of standards. We see accreditation in hospitals, in law enforcement, all throughout education, and a number of other industries. Whether we have whether we have abuse that is directly correlated to our life experience, we are all impacted by this work. Taking right. care of our kids and protecting our children in the right way is something that is so critical for, you know, around here we, we use this language about loving, caring adults. And it's this idea on how we can disciple, how we can create an environment where children can be raised as resilient disciples. And we know from research that the, the one loving, caring adult makes this huge, profound impact in someone's life. And this is sort of the ultimate perversion of a loving, caring adult when I think about when it comes to child protection, this is something that no matter the time of the church, no matter the time of an organization, this is something that God has ultimately said, no, like everyone has to get this right. So I want to just kind of provide a little bit of context on, because I think some people who hear this might be a little confused on how this all kind of fits together and why Awana is choosing to engage in this conversation right now. So uh, Kevin, why is Awana engaging this conversation? So, Ever since our, our our inception as a ministry, we've cared about kids, right? It, it's it's child discipleship. It's the presence of a caring, loving adult. It's creating an environment where kids can uh, belong, believe, become more like Jesus. And uh, and you've mentioned this, Ross, is in the worst possible way that gone wrong hurts kids. And so for for our entire existence as a ministry, we've cared about the concept of child protection and had policies in place and processes in place. Now the uniqueness about our ministry is we don't have control over how the local church does their ministry. That's not our place. Uh, we are a servant of the church. We're an equipper of the church. We're a trainer of the church. Uh, our very mission statement is to equip leaders to reach kids with the gospel and engage them in lifelong discipleship. Uh, so the ultimate work is at the local church level, but within the context of that, we look and say, how do we help churches do that? Well, right. And so that's why a conversation like this is so important. We realize there are, there are thousands and thousands of churches out there that realize this is important, but they don't have a clue where to go. How do we effectively protect our children? Um, we realize there are churches all over the place that take this seriously and they're looking for more. Um, and then tragically, there are churches that this isn't on their radar at all. Mm-hmm. And we're so focused on the programmatic and the necessary effect ministry side of what we do week in and week out that the concepts of broader child protection aren't on their radar. And so we look at that and say, how do we help the church do ministry well? And if yeah. they can get this concept, get this subject, get this awareness uh, on their radar, so to say, um, we want to help do that. Absolutely. Well, and I think um, the thing about that too is, you know, we often are saying in conversations around here that this is not an indictment about what you're doing. This is not something that is meant to be an extra burden on people who are probably because no, I mean, there are p- plenty of people and Jeff, you and I will talk about this. There are plenty of people who are, who are, who are doing this really well, but That's odds right. are there's a lot of folks out there who are going to be able to know that there's a, there's a gap that they can close and that your organization provides 
ways to do that. Because I think something that people might, especially people who've been involved with and want for decades, they might be confused or want more clarification around why would we as an organization, you know, and I, I, words like partnership may sound kind of cliche, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But why would we engage with a, an outside organization rather than trying to do some of this in-house? Yeah. And so to that end, right, there, there are experts all over the place in their space. At Awana, we are, we are training, equipping, develop content, like resourcing people. That's what we do. There's plenty of other podcasts, uh, yes. Ross, that you've been a part of with the rest of our team that has done this so well. And it's the rest of our team that we're so proud of what they do. Um, this isn't our area of expertise. This isn't our area of specialty. And yet it's so important to us. Yeah. And so it's looking for how do we resource and equip church leaders effectively without us having to do everything? Yeah. What do I do? How do I do this? Or if this particular subject, it doesn't matter what it is, if this is important to us, like how do I put handles or a framework around doing that? And when uh, Jeff and I first got the opportunity to meet and discuss and learn a little bit more about what they're doing, um, what I loved so much about it is it takes this giant, scary, complex, complicated topic and boils it down into here's how to do the best you possibly can. Yeah. You know, it's not a foolproof. It's not, it's not a guarantee in, in any way, shape or form, but to look and say, if there are some practical things we do, we're moving in the right direction to take this issue seriously and to, to pragmatically and practically within the context of our church, create an environment that is as safe as possible for kids to be discipled. That's right. But when I think about uh, the nuclear bomb of damage that comes from abuse, and how it is, when it when that happens in a, to a child, it's the people around that child, it's the people around the people around that child, like that abuse mm-hmm. magnifies. So as I hope, a ripple effect. As a ripple yeah. effect. And I hope that people who care about this and care about the kids in their ministry understand that that is why we are taking the time to have this important conversation is because this yeah. may never come up in your ministry. Mm-hmm but we know nationally it's not giving, getting the kind of attention that it deserves. And we want you as a ministry to be able to be leaders in your community around this conversation around child protection. We want you to be equipped. We want the church to take its rightful place as a leader in these t- kind of hard conversations and reaching people who have been uh, victim survivors of the, of abuse themselves. It's such a silly kind of, kind of, kind of analogy or connection, but like I used to be a lifeguard back in the day um, all of that stuff, right? Like the lifeguard spends all of their time and attention and energy preparing for something they hope they never have to training. do. Training. Training to, to prepare for something they hope they never have to do. Yeah. And until it becomes an issue, you don't even realize you've got that kind of around you. And it's the same thing here, right? Like let's prepare churches so that we don't ever have to have a conversation about this terrible tragedy that could take place. Yeah. And, and right. it's to your yeah. point, Ross, it, yeah. is to say, well, I don't know what to do about it because this has never affected my family. Well, let's ensure that that continues. Amen. That this doesn't right. affect your family, that this doesn't affect your church because those ripple effects are so significant and so huge. Yeah. And not blindly, right? Not to, to, to do that blindly, but to actually have a measurable benchmark to gauge, okay, what are we doing to make sure that that doesn't, that doesn't ever happen? What, what I think that we've noticed, and you may have seen the same thing, is there's really a spectrum. I think you've got some well-resourced churches on the far right that have you know, great child protection programs in place. We want to serve those churches by helping them understand that what they're doing is, is solid and that that continues to be sustainable. On the far left side, there's a spectrum of 
you know, the church leader who says, you know what, I know everybody in my church, there's a hundred people here and I know every single one of them and they would never do anything like mm-hmm. this. Right. And there's all these ch- churches and ministries kind of in the middle all over the place. With our accreditation uh, standards, we want to really, and by the way, there are 50 standards in six different categories. We just wrapped this up a couple weeks ago in Los Angeles. And with the standard, we want people to know what the plumb line is, what the benchmark is to compare to. That helps them either improve those measures to protect kids and other vulnerable persons um, or to confirm those who are doing the right thing. Maybe they've even exceeded the standard and they're doing what we would call best practices to protect children. And so that's really the purpose of the standard is solving the problem. What should be done? And then the accreditation program on the flip side of that is, are you actually doing it and are you doing it consistently? I think it's helpful for people to understand some of the statistics that are around um, child abuse generally, because I think people understand that it happens. They weep that it does. But um, when you and I first spoke offline, Jeff, that one of the things that really stuck out to me is as tragically as it is, just how pervasive this issue is. So can you speak a little bit to the landscape that your organization is is now stepped into to try to lead and try to change? Yeah, absolutely. Well, culturally speaking, of course, we see an increased um, sexually deviant um, culture, right? And that's directly related to sexual abuse throughout our culture. Um, Sadly, um, and I'll get you the citation for the statistic, but uh, one in five girls will be sexually abused before age 18, and one in seven boys will be sexually abused by age 18. And so that's the larger culture. Um, But uh, if you look at Rich Hammer, that's a really helpful annual assessment. The number one reason for the last... um, Four of the last five years that churches have ended up in court is due to sexual abuse Mm. cases of a minor. And I can also send you that statistic as well. And so we see this um, just being an incredibly uh, prevalent issue in churches, in Christian ministries, um, not just for the last five years, but well before. There's a number of of books and cases and stories told. Um, Of course, the Houston Chronicles article uh, articles that the expose last last spring um, is kind of forefront in our mind as they were highlighting abuse in the Southern Baptist Convention. Of course, sexual abuse isn't limited to the Southern Baptist Convention or the Catholic Church, but um, shows up uh, wherever sin shows up, and uh, that's why this is really a gospel issue, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, anyways, uh, so that that's a little bit of the statistics to show the the landscape of sexual abuse. Um, insurance companies are telling me. Uh, that they're seeing, um, and they're not always reported to insurance companies, sadly, because not every insurance company that insures a Protestant or evangelical church or, or a Christian school, they don't always have uh, sexual abuse insurance coverage. And so some of the uh, statistics from the insurance companies are not um, as helpful as we would want them to be because they just don't provide coverage anymore in this category. Oh, wow. uh, but those that do provide it are reporting um, you know, close to 500 cases every year um, in in Christian churches in Protestant 500. churches. 500. That was just one one insurance company. One insurance company. Uh, that's right. So it's it's very very prevalent. I'll share some uh, statistical information to uh, to help you. And of course, um, citations are, are really important when you're using statistics. We've got more information on our website as to what abuse is and how prevalent it is in Christian ministry. Um, and as you've talked about earlier, Ross, it, 
abuse is nuclear. It completely unravels the evangelism, the discipleship, the spiritual formation of a person. Uh, Typically, we talk about children as being vulnerable to sexual abuse, and that is primarily what we're talking about here in relation to Awana. But there's other populations that are vulnerable to abuse as well, um, including special needs persons and the elderly. And so uh, we believe that it's a matter of biblical stewardship that we as Christian leaders would step up and work diligently to prevent abuse and to be ready to respond if and when, God forbid, an allegation of abuse would arise. Regardless of what your community looks like, the statistics that Jeff lays out and some of the more information you can find on abuseprevention.org and I'm sure what will be a very loaded show notes section for this particular episode um, is it speaks to the fact that this is happening in your community. Like mathematically, this is this is there. And wherever you are, this is something that, you know, we, we I've, I, say, I say this all the time on this podcast, but the conversation around resilient child discipleship is a conversation that could potentially be really dire because the moment that the church is in statistically could seem really dire. And yet when you think about all of the good things that are in your ministry, all of the ways that God is up to something and moving and just in this big, um, that God is, is up to revival in whatever your context looks like. And then to think about, to be prepared for a conversation like this, to be prepared to also lead in this way is so critically important because whoever is listening to this knows that if this were to happen in their community, in their ministry, independent of, you know, churches shutting down and those types of things, it gives an opportunity for non-believers, for cynics, for people who are on the fringes, people who are already impacted to uh, chalk it up to, oh, this is another example of the church being hypocritical. This is another example to write their own narrative in a, an extreme tragic way. And this is not the, you know, this is not the point of our conversation, but what I hope people hear in this is all of the good things that God is up to in your ministry, which I know are a lot of things because we hear from stories, particularly for those connected to Wana, um, have the potential to be unraveled because of circumstances like this. Well, I, I- I think sometimes we hear these large statistics and we, we, we either can't get our mind around them or we think, oh, well, not here, not, not, not here. Right. And so when Jeff shares like one in five girls are, are statistically going to be sexually abused, like just hang on for a second. Yeah. I've got three daughters. Some of our dearest friends have four daughters. We hang out a lot. That's seven girls. Yep. Like, like when we hear as church leaders, as ministry leaders, when we hear these large statistics and we think, oh, well, not here, like boil it down to the closest denominator that you can wrap your mind around. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's your own family or your closest friends like this regard. I look at that and my heart just aches Yeah, and I get angry at the prospect of what could be. And I say, I'm going to do everything I possibly can in my home and my family, among my friends and my local church level to protect them. Because they are children of God, not, not just because, well, oh, they're bad people. No, like uh, these are children that are seen and created in the image of God. And as ministry leaders, we should look at all of these children in that same way. And if we want to develop resilient child disciples, we have to have that lens or perspective. Or I have volunteer in middle school ministry at my church. And I look at my eldest daughter who sits around a table with five, six, seven other girls. And again, we look at the statistics and say, just at this one table in this church in this evening, 
And so I'd, I'd challenge all of our ministry leaders, again, why does Awana at this table? Not just because Kevin has a passion for it or Ross has a passion for it or other leaders in our organization do. but Or Jeff seems cool. Yeah, yeah. right. Although he very much is. <laughs> um, because this matters. And yeah. if we care about discipleship, we care about kids and we care about protecting them from the, the world and the enemy that's around them. And again, if we have a hard time getting our mind around that, I would challenge every one of our leaders to figure out how to get your mind around it and follow that up with action. Amen. So you mentioned the standards and the accreditation, and I think it's really helpful that you, you sort of lay out what an accreditation is and what accreditation is not. But what goes into the standards and the accreditation your organization is offering to churches? Yeah, great question. Uh, so in creating standards, there's actually a fairly a formal process, a very detailed process. Um, it starts with um, gathering a group of industry experts. And by the industry, I'm using that as in a very, very broad sense. Uh, in this case, it involves um, uh, experts in pastoral ministry, in children's ministry, in Christian education, in risk management, in legal and investigative um, areas and disciplines. Um, it also includes um, a forensic nurse um, and a number of attorneys, including victim advocacy. Uh, so we put together a team of 10 experts. We wanted to make sure that every discipline was represented, uh, but we didn't want to make the group too large to uh, make it unwieldy. We also included, interestingly, an attorney from a large insurance uh, company in the U.S. because we believe that uh, they are large stakeholders and they've got actually a lot of experience uh, helping ministries with uh, abuse prevention. So we brought this team of experts together. Uh, we asked um, a, a very, very talented um, attorney uh, based out of Colorado Springs to lead, to chair this committee to create the standards. They started this process back in, in September and just recently in Los Angeles uh, gathered um, at a school Christian school there to finalize the, the standards. And then now it will go through a writing and editing phase before it goes to a legal review. And then finally, it will go to a phase which is known as public review and comment. That means anybody can jump on our website and leave post comments or ask questions um, on the standards to make sure that what we are rolling out for this accreditation program is the very best of the best. That's so great. that's a little bit of the process um, in establishing standards. And then we're, we've actually been in partnership with the association, um, excuse me, ACSI, the Association of Christian Schools International. Uh, they have been very kind and very generous to support us giving us access to their accreditation program. So rather than us having to start with a blank slate, we're able to modify and to build uh, from their accreditation program, our own program adapted to our standards. So we're grateful for their partnership. And uh, they're a very, very well-known uh, accrediting organization in Christian schools. And so they've got, they've got many decades of experience in accreditation. So we're able to learn from them and learn from what they've learned over the years and uh, again, build out a, an accreditation program that's, that's solid. That's great. So um, as someone who has, uh, I once took a, a, mortgage, a mortgage licensing accreditation test because um, I've, I've lived a few lives in my 29 years, but someone who has <laughs> had pretty little experience around accreditation. Can you speak to some of the standards, um, some of the 
uh, uh, metrics or sort of the the lines around the field that you're using in the accreditation process to show the overall um I'm, I'm hedging my words a little bit because I don't want to say success around this conversation, but how organizations are doing, how organizations are meeting the accreditation that you're laying out. You know, what does some of that look like on the ground for a local ministry? Sure. Sure. Well, I'm not going to speak very specifically to each of the standards yet because sure. it hasn't gone through the legal review. And so I'm not at liberty to do that. But in general categories, I'll first say the standards uh, primarily focus on prevention. So that's spans from governance, how an organization is governed, what checks and balances are in place um, within that organization to ensure the protection of vulnerable persons, all the way to response. Does your church or Christian school have a response plan, and what is that response plan if an allegation of abuse comes up? In between there, we're looking at screening processes, training processes for staff and, and volunteers, um, what what is what about the rule of three? Uh, some call it, or the two adults to one child um, rule. Uh, will that be a standard? Those are the types of uh, things that we're, our experts are working at in those uh, fifty standards in six different categories. So that's just a little bit of a sampling of what the standards will look like. And uh, and I'm really excited about the response plan because we believe that helping accredited members have a response plan is going to be really, really important um, because we, we just, again, based on the statistics, we know that allegations of abuse are going to show up. So we really want to equip and to train ministries to be prepared when those come up. Uh, an investigator that we've been working with said, sadly, that many, many ministry leaders just don't know what to do when something comes up. They don't know who to call. They don't know um, how to investigate. They don't know how to cooperate or, or collaborate with law enforcement uh, because in most of the 50 U.S. states, um, there's a mandatory reporting law uh, or some sort of law enforcement interaction if we're talking about a criminal act like uh, sexual abuse. And so they don't know what to do. They don't know uh, how to, to partner with law enforcement in that investigation process. They don't know what to do with the parent of a victim of abuse. They don't know what to do with um, an offender. And uh, so we really want to help put some guidelines and a framework on what that response plan should look like. That's great. Um, and so you, you asked, you asked um, specifically on the ground, what does that look like? Uh, so there would be a process through accreditation, uh, starting with an application and a self-study and not to bore with too much details, but uh, the, the, the accreditation culminates with an on-site audit. And so there would be two or three approximately auditors who would show up at a church and walk through a checklist to ensure compliance to the standards. Uh, they might be checking for safe environments. They might be meeting with uh, administrators and ministry staff and board members to determine if that organization is compliant. And once they are, uh, they're awarded accreditation membership through a commission or a committee within our council and uh, there's a system of checks and balances throughout the process to make sure that um, people, organizations are treated fairly and that, uh, that the accreditation process is trustworthy, that it is legitimate, that it is um, serving those, those members well. That's great. So um, 
uh, there, you know, I, I only have a couple minutes left here, but I want to kind of hit a couple of things when we, it totally makes sense why you want to make sure that people are getting connected to the organization and that your, that your standards are going through a legal review uh, before you talk about them. So what I want to hit though, is I think some folks, and I hope they're still listening, right? I'll, I, this, this might get moved up towards the beginning of the podcast to make sure that I'm engaging folks, because I think some people may think, oh, we're good, right? Like independent of the statistics, independent of some of the sort of community widespread issues that we've spoken about already, there is that sort of prevailing attitude you've mentioned on the spectrum of the pastor of a smaller church who's like, I know everybody, it's not happening here. And they may even have standards like background checks or th- or myths that they have come to believe um, that give them a sense of security. And I don't, you know, I'm not trying to be alarmist, right? We got we got enough alarmist stuff happening right now in the age of the coronavirus. But the, can you help me understand and help our people who listen to this understand, for example, why background checks are only part of the solution? Because I think you are likely going to be able to speak to some of the standards that churches may have in place already and why there might need to be, um, why those standards might need to be reevaluated. Sure. Well, background checks are important, um, but they're roughly, you know, worth 10% of your total child protection program or prevention measures. Uh, Why? Well, because first of all, background checks will never reveal an offender who's never been caught before. And sadly, there are many horrible statistics about um, abusers uh, not ever having been caught or even reported. Uh, furthermore, background checks um, are is a whole whole complicated world of background checks that many ministry leaders don't fully understand. But there's a whole world out there of uh, sanctuary cities and certain counties that don't report digitally. There's plea downs in our judicial system. There's a number of factors that would uh, cause break, uh, background checks to, to break down and, and not to really be the wonderful solution that theoretically it could or should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so sadly, background checks um, are still important. You still need to do them. Uh, you need to do them on a regular basis, so not just once, um, but you need to do them periodically. Best practices are somewhere between every two to five years. You should be doing background checks for anyone who's working with minors. But, uh, but sadly, we can't stop with background checks. There's uh, a number of other prevention measures that need to be in place to protect kids. That's great. What are some, what are some other myths or sort of, uh, I'll just say it, false senses of securities that folks that you've interacted with as you've explained why this organization <laughs> exists um, that you've had to sort of pop those bubbles? Yeah, we've touched on one here on this uh, call on, on a number of occasions, and that's the small church pastor or a Sunday school leader who knows everybody in the church and doesn't believe that any of those people um, could be an abuser. And so that's probably the most, uh, that's, that's the biggest bubble that that's, we yeah. face. The other big bubble is 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 both ignorance and uh, and just an unaware, uneducated of understanding of what a child protection program should be. Um, it's just this big, huge topic and busy ministry leaders, busy school administrators on the treadmill of work and ministry don't take time to stop and actually think about what all should be in place. 
I think that some lower, um, I hate to say lower level, that sounds bad, but uh, I think that there's volunteers in a church or Christian school who understand the importance of it and they work hard at it. But often the senior leadership um, quickly delegates the topic of child protection to a volunteer or some other staff person. And that person doesn't always have the organizational authority to make the comprehensive decisions um, that are necessary for a child protection program to be comprehensive and thorough as we would want it to be. Thank you again to Jeff and Kevin for the time, and thank you for listening. I would encourage you to check out the website of the Evangelical Council of Abuse Prevention. You can find it at abuseprevention.org, and I've linked it in the show notes. And specifically, their free resource helps start the conversation. And if you are someone who you've made it here, but this is overwhelming and complicated, especially during a pandemic, thank you for sticking with us during this conversation. And I hope you check out that free resource to begin to have a similar conversation in your local community. The Resilient Disciples podcast is powered by Awana. Awana is a global nonprofit organization dedicated to equipping leaders to reach kids with the gospel and engage them in lifelong discipleship. Awana is fueled by the generous support of individuals, churches, and organizations, as well as resource sales. Subscribe to the podcast today so you never miss an episode and go to resilientdisciples.com for leader resources and many more of these conversations. The podcast is mixed, edited, produced, and hosted by me, Ross Cochran. Thanks to Kevin Orris and Phil Wallace and to you for making the podcast happen. I'll talk to you next week.